Hello, and welcome to Spawned, a common sense and hopefully fun discussion on parenting and parenting culture, and a very special 50th episode with a very special guest. Hey, I'm Kristen Chase. I'm Liz Gumbiner. We're the co-founders of CoolMomPics.com. And on today's episode of Spawned, we are so thrilled to welcome Anne Holton, who a lot of our listeners will know as the wife of Senator Tim Kaine, Hillary Clinton's vice presidential running mate, but... She's an amazing woman in her own right. She certainly is. She's a mom of three. She's an accomplished Harvard-trained attorney, a judge. Until recently, she was the Secretary of Education in Virginia. Kristen, I'm feeling very unaccomplished suddenly. (laughs) (laughs) Also, she was the daughter of the former governor, Linwood Halton, which makes her, and I think this is kind of cool, the only person to ever live in the governor's mansion, both as a child and an adult. So... Welcome, Anne. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, Kristen. Great to be with you. Yeah, I think the secret about me is I can't seem to keep a job. (laughs) (laughs) But I've had a lot of fun. I will say I've had some really wonderful, fun opportunities. You certainly have. And so we want to hear about you, but first we need the dish. So you've got to tell us what's Hillary really like. Oh, wow. Well, that's fun to answer because it's been such a treat to get to know her. I have been a fan and admirer of her career for a long, long time. But now over the last couple of months, I get to be with her up close and personal. I would say she is your ultimate quintessential multitasking mom. (laughs) And one of the fun opportunities we had was to sneak up to Westchester to visit with her and the whole extended family back in July before Tim was the pick. And uh, it was the first time her new grandbaby, Aiden, was up to visit the Westchester house. And Chelsea and her husband, Mark, and the two-year-old Charlotte was there as well. And, And there was this one moment when Tim and President Clinton are outside with Charlotte the two-year-old and Hillary and I are inside and Hillary looks out and realizes that Bill isn't meeting his grandpa duties up to her snuff Ah. and reaches open the door to say, Bill, you know you're on grandpa duty. And then she turns back to 16 other things. And, you know, five minutes later, she's engaging Tim on this really high-level conversation about what are we going to do about the Mideast? But that sort of multitasking thing that moms do, right? Oh, that's a good story. And I agree. I think that's what a lot of us do is we jump back and forth between a mom and a grandma and a an educator or a podcaster or whatever it is we do for a living and we just make it work. Just running for president, Liz, you know. (laughs) You know, kind of like podcasting. (laughs) Almost the same. (laughs) Does she also hang out in a closet when she's speaking with special guests? I can't speak to her. I do not know. I can tell you she shares with you all. She's a really good listener. And I've watched her listen to people on the campaign trail from the bus driver who's driving our charter bus. She's hearing the stories about her children back in Georgia to the factory worker on the floor. So that's a good mom trait, too. So, Anne, we keep hearing that, in quotes, this is the most important election of our lifetime. We hear that over and over again in different ways. And and you and Tim are smack in the middle of it. How do you process the weight of that? Oh, well, that's a great question. Um, Well, it is some weight because it is a really, really important election. It's an honor and a privilege, frankly, to get to be part of it and to get to be helping make the case for why Hillary's going to be the next great president. Um, It it is a weighty responsibility, but I feel like our message is sound. We're on the right side of the race and on the right side of history, and I'm confident in America and the voters. And so other than working to make sure we get our message out, it doesn't keep me up at night. So you feel confident enough that you can kind of get through your days and just do what you have to do? Yeah, yeah. I must say, I mean, I loved my job as Secretary of Education and was doing really exciting, interesting things with good people back in Virginia. 
I made the decision, as you know, to resign after Tim joined the ticket, yeah. partly because Hillary asked me to go on a campaign trail for it. And if I wasn't engaged in the game, I think it would be really hard to be back home watching totally from the sidelines. But I'm out working and talking to voters all over and listening to folks here and what their issues are and taking that back to Hillary. So you know how that is when you're busy working on something, then you don't have time to worry. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to try to remember that for myself. So I'm glad you're talking about being out on the trail because you missed a lot of the campaigning because you were working when your husband was running for various offices before Senate, right? Yeah, well, and not only working, but I was a juvenile court judge in the city of Richmond through many of his Virginia races, and judges in Virginia are strictly prohibited from doing anything connected to politics. So, I mean, if I had to borrow his car, I would literally peel the bumper sticker off the back bumper. (laughs) So, I mean, so for many years, I couldn't do any politics. I did leave the bench when we moved into the mansion. I left my judgeship then. And I did campaign a little bit for President Obama in 2008, and I campaigned for Tim a little bit in 2012, but this is really my first time since I was a little kid to be really engaged on the trail. So wait, I need to know, now that you're allowed to, do you have a Clinton Kane bumper sticker on your car? Oh, well, you know what? <laughs> the truth of the matter is I don't have a car anymore. They took my car away. Oh, just like a big plane in a motorcade. <laughs> I get driven everywhere. That's one of the stranger things about my life, so... Nope, I haven't asked the Secret Service how they feel about putting bumper stickers on their cars yet. (laughs) Maybe I will. (laughs) So speaking about campaigning, so I know you've spent a whole lifetime really getting to know the issues, particularly of Virginia voters, especially where it came to education and families. So now that you're really out across the country and you're speaking with voters everywhere, what are you seeing as the important issues that are affecting families and children right now? What are you hearing firsthand from people? Uh, Well, you know, I'll say two things to that. One is that I am having a lot of opportunities to talk to educators, to folks working in the school world, teachers, parents, students. And I just love that. I mean, that's one of the things Hillary asked me to do is to listen to teachers. And so that's been a real treat to hear from others. What are the similar issues to what's going on in Virginia and what's different? And and certainly some of the similarities everywhere, some of the challenges. We're just asking our teachers to do more and more with less and less. And we've just got to figure out better ways to help elevate and modernize the teaching profession and help improve education through supporting our teachers better. And that's something that I'm proud to support Hillary's platform on. She's got really good ideas on public education. And I would say just generally, we're hearing folks talk about how we're going to make the economy work for everybody, not just those at the top. I was a legal aid lawyer before I was a judge. And, you know, this issue of sick leave, paid sick leave, you all know this. You know, when you have a sick kid, you're going to do what you have to do. And you might have to spend, God forbid, one, two, three days home with a sick child for the daycare will let you bring them back, right? Yes. The notion that people who often are working at minimum wage or low wage jobs to start with get their paycheck docked, essentially, when they miss a day of work or two or three. It's just a huge problem in our nation. And I used to see it as a legal aid lawyer. People would get their paycheck cut because of missing a day or two, and then they wouldn't be able to pay the rent, and then they'd get evicted, and then they'd lose the job. And we've been meeting folks all across the country who are We've got to do something about the minimum wage. We've got to do something about paid family leave. Yeah, I mean, I think those are both issues that, you know, Liz and I feel so strongly about. But specifically education, you know, we're both huge advocates of the public school system. We have oh, six great. kids, and we we like to say, and that we know of. Between us. <laughs> <laughs> what are the ages of your children? Oh, gosh. They range Kristen's in age. oldest is 12. Yep. And then mine are 11 and 9, and hers go down to 5. I have four kids, and Liz has 
this too. Yes. And, you know, we know that the universal pre-K, even, you know, here where I am, they don't have full day kindergarten. So, you know, I have to pay to put my daughter in a full day kindergarten that's private so that I can work. So we know that's a big issue with this campaign. But what in terms of K through 12 are you seeing or do you think, you know, some change can be effected in that area overall in this campaign? Well, you know, actually, Hillary's got a very strong platform agenda for K-12 education as well. And I'm very, very excited about it. Teaching, learning and community, TLC are her headlines. But the teaching is, I think, one of the most important. I started to talk before about we've just got to figure out ways to help build up the profession, to invest more in our teachers. We're, We're facing some really serious teacher shortages. We're asking teachers to help our kids meet these much higher standards, but we haven't traditionally done as well as we could by helping them have the tools they need, have the planning time they need, having the resources they need to be able to meet these higher standards. She's promoting computer science education, and your kids aren't quite there yet, but they're getting there. How do we connect, particularly in the upper grades, how do we connect our K-12 experience to community college, four-year college, and career? How do we really establish career pathways that are going to help kids be successful and help the economy grow? And another that I feel very passionately about having worked in our schools in Virginia Both our urban poor schools and our rural poor schools particularly just have huge infrastructure challenges. And, you know, it's everything from safety issues, lead, uh, mold, but also just aging buildings without adequate technology. And her infrastructure proposals across the board, not just about schools, but a significant piece of it is how we're going to help modernize our school buildings. I like hearing you talk about that. I actually had the privilege to speak with Chelsea Clinton. I think it was the day before she had her baby. And we talked about public education a lot. And she spoke very specifically about the institutional issues, like the actual infrastructure. And I thought that was yeah. fascinating, something we don't often think about. We spend so much time on testing in particular. Yeah. Um, and the testing issues are really important, too. We've got to figure out how to get the balance right on that. I could do a whole episode on that. <laughs> Don't get Liz started on yeah, me testing. Too. Me too. <laughs> well, my mom's actually an educator and has been for years. She's like your biggest fan. And she's actually been working on a documentary about the slow decimation of the public school system in this country. And it's something I've been really concerned about personally. Kristen's been concerned about. My kids go to public school in Brooklyn. And we really believe in the public school system. And we feel like it's being kind of decimated on both sides of the aisle in favor of, you know, charters or choice or you know, whatever word they're using to refer to it. And I've always believed, you know, if we took all these millions that are being thrown into these for-profit schools and put them into public education, like how many kids would be better off? And I just wanted to kind of hear your thoughts because you are, you're like the poster child for public education. And I'd just like to know how you're seeing public education unfolding in the coming years. And if there's a way to take you and and Tim, your passion for it and somehow bring it to the country on a national level. Well, yes, I am absolutely passionate about public education. As you know, I grew up in public education. Our kids have all been the products of great inner city public schools that have gotten them terrific education. I helped integrate my Richmond City schools when I was a 12-year-old when my dad was governor of Virginia. So my heart and my head have been engaged in public education for a very long time. We've been in a reform mode for a while now, and I think there are challenges. There are significant challenges and opportunities to improve our schools. I think the fundamental message I would give is, well, there was a National Teacher of the Year a couple of years back who delivered a message to President Obama over lunch, you know, one of these Teacher of the Year things. And he said, responsibility and delight in learning can coexist. 
And I fundamentally be that, love believe that. that. Yes, we need to do accountability, but we need to do it in a way that doesn't destroy the love of learning, the joy of learning, the joy of teaching. It's a matter of getting the right balance, finding a way to do testing and school accountability that is productive and constructive and collaborative with our educators. I do think that there's roles for all kinds of options. Well, let's just say for-profit schools is one thing, and I have no interest in going down that path. (laughs) Public nonprofit charters, you know, have a role to play, and many folks are strong fans of them. Our Virginia system, for various reasons, we don't have a whole lot of charters, so I've had less experience with them. But there's no reason they can't work in tandem where we're devoting resources to both. And that's one of the challenges I'm learning across as I tour across the country is that charters have kind of come up in the same decade in many places where we were shrinking funding for public education. And it's put the modes in conflict with each other. And that's unfortunate. I know both of us are so pleased that the education is getting such a strong supporter and leader in this campaign. You know, as parents, there are so many issues out there right now, you know, in terms of what people are talking about and what people are addressing, but we're so glad that education is getting a voice. For sure. Yeah, thank you. And I would also just urge our listeners, if you haven't seen Ann Halton's TEDx talk, which is called A Love Letter to the Richmond Public Schools, it is so worth a quick watch. I really loved hearing you speak so passionately about that one, I think it was a computer science teacher, where you talked about how his enthusiasm was being mirrored by the kids in his classroom and how important that was. Yeah. And I just, I knew your heart right there. Like, I just knew that yeah. how you felt. Well, and he was also, he was a master teacher helping train up a newer math teacher. Our local college in Richmond, VCU, has a teacher residency program that they were part of where teachers spend a year as a resident, like a medical student would, like any good profession does, essentially working under the tutelage of a master teacher but focused on urban education and educating kids at the margins and the kids who need us the most, and especially in tough subjects like math. Yeah, that teacher was just remarkable. Both of those young men were just remarkable. So, Anne, we want to talk a little bit about voting. I mean, we have to, right? (laughs) Right, Liz? We have to talk about voting here. And, you know, we and so many of our listeners, we have kids that can't vote just yet. And I know a couple of our children would love to be able to vote right now. And in (laughs) fact, they might do a better job than some adults, but we won't go there. <laughs> in terms of voting. But but what are some ways that we can get our kids and the listeners can get their young kids excited about civic responsibility? Because that's where it starts, right? Yeah, I think that's a great thought. Part of what I've been doing on the trail is visiting with campaign organizers and volunteers. And I was in one campaign office, I think we were in Boston, and there were two young ladies, 10-year-olds, who were pouring over their phone bank calls. They had their little call sheets in front of them, and I'm coming into the office, and everybody else stopped making calls because I walk in the room, and they all want to, you know, talk to me and get their pictures. These two 10-year-old girls wouldn't stop. They were so busy making their calls, and I I can't imagine what it was like on the other end, but I can tell you what, if a 10-year-old girl called me up and said, I'm a volunteer with Hillary for America, and I want you to vote for her. I wouldn't know how to turn them down. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> a great point. Powerhouses. So get them out there. Get them Absolutely. out there. Get them going door to door. Take them with you. And I always, I'm sure you all do this already, but my children have voted since they were infants because we always took them into the voting booth with us and let them help us push the lever. They let us get away with that in Virginia. I don't know whether they let you get away with that <laughs> everywhere. I don't know if we're supposed to, but we certainly do it in New York, <laughs> at least in my district. Good, 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 <laughs> A good. lot of kids wearing their I Voted Today badges in November. <laughs> we do. I mean, we just talk about these issues. I mean, I don't know. Our kids might say we talk oppressively about them, but it's 
comes up over, over the dinner table. We talk about sports and we talk about what went on at school today, but we also talk about what's important to us. And my kids have heard Tim and me talking about issues that matter to people and our views on them. And we've asked them their views and included them in those conversations since they were Well, since they came out of the womb. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now that we're moving into home life, I got to ask you this. So your husband, Tim, is being referred to as America's dad, (laughs) (laughs) which is probably our favorite meme of the year. When we started seeing people on Twitter talk to him about America's dad, I'm just going to read a couple of these tweets. Katie McDonough wrote, Tim Kaine is the dad who gets a little weepy when he tells you that he's real proud that you turned your math grades around. (laughs) And Yaakov Miranoff said, Tim Kaine doesn't have a pencil you can borrow. Tim Kaine has a pencil you can keep. (laughs) And Hayes Brown said, Tim Kaine surprised you by telling you, of course you're coming with his family on their trip to Disney World. Your family, too. (laughs) How did you feel about that? Oh, we just had such a kick out of him. We first started seeing those the night Tim made his speech at the Democratic Convention. And he and I go back to our hotel room and we're exhausted and we're crashing and I'm ready to turn the light out. But Tim's like checking his reviews online, which he of course shouldn't be doing. He should be going to bed, right? But Uh, he started reading those. So he's like us. He's Googling himself. (laughs) I don't know where he was finding them. Somebody must have sent him the link or something or other. But we just both started belly laughing uproariously. They were so funny. And uh, we've enjoyed it. I will tell you that our kids say that they are 90% accurate. (laughs) Oh, that's a pretty good rating. One of them says he has an orderly workbench at home, and that one is false. I can attest to that. (laughs) But he does let them keep the pencils. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, here I've got one to add. Um, I was on a plane recently and looking at the in-flight magazine and remembering there was a time in Tim's life when he used to fly a lot for work. And he would always get excited around the first of the month when the new in-flight magazines came out. (laughs) That is awesome. That's my contribution if I were a tweeter. He and I would have a lot to talk about because I know that the crossword puzzle won't have been filled in yet. Yes, yes. So I totally get it. Maybe I'm America's mom. No, yes, so. there you go. Sounds like it. All right. So we're dying to know, what do you think your kids would say is the worst thing about having you and Tim as parents? And what's the best? Besides the keeping the pencils. Well, I'm, I, the worst is, I think the worst is Tim and I have made a long career during our parenting time of embarrassing our children in every possible way. Oh, well, that's why you have kids, right? I mean, that's like, yes, exactly. that's why you have and, them. And enjoying every second of it. So, you know, <laughs> dancing in public and singing and playing music in public and just, you know, bragging about them and everything. So we embarrass them a lot. Oh, and now the press is going to be all over that nationally. They'll love that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, more, more opportunity to embarrass them. Uh, best thing, oh gosh, you know, we have a lot of fun together. We really do. We've camped and hiked together over the years. We've raised up three very independent, strong-willed children, and we have always valued their opinions. And I think they appreciate that we appreciate them. I would take you as parents. Kristen, what do you think? Can we adopt them? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> My dad never let me keep the pencil. <laughs> So, Anne, is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know? It's just, I mean, two months to go before the election. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Oh, gosh, you guys, it's just such a treat to be with you. And you said it before. I think the most important thing is to make sure your listeners know how important it is to vote. You know, we, we met in law school partly because he took a year off in the middle of law school to live in Honduras and work with Jesuit missionaries there. And they didn't have the right to vote there for all effective purposes. And folks sometimes take it for granted here. So that would be 
my biggest message to your listeners is exercise your right to vote. This is how we make democracy work. And when you vote, vote for a person who's been, you know, right from when she was a very, very young woman coming right out of law school, going to the Children's Defense Fund working on behalf of kids with disabilities all her career, long before she was in politics, has been caring about children and families. So vote and vote the right way. Yes. Thank you. And I want to make you my cool pick of the week. If we were going <laughs> to if we were going to pick today, because Liz and I usually do our cool picks, and I would say you would be my cool pick of the week. But since you're a special guest, I know your schedule is crazy and you're going to run, but we'd love to hear your cool pick of the week. I'm sure our listeners would love to. Would you mind sharing? Oh, thank you for letting me. I'd love to. Uh, I'm in a book club that we've been reading together for many, many years, and uh, I love to promote our book choices. We're reading a book now called My Brilliant Friend by Elena Ferranti, and I'm about halfway through it, and I just love it. It's about two women and their friendship. It's a part of a series, and I think I'm right that the first book is all about their early friendship, high school age, and then the later books in the series take their friendship all the way up through old age. But it's just a beautiful book, an Italian writer, my brilliant friend. Awesome. Thank you. That's a great pick. And I know, you know, we don't always have a lot of time to read, but if we do, I'm going to put that one on the list. That and, <laughs> that, and now I'm going to read those in-flight magazines. <laughs> I'm inspired. If you can do all that you do, Anne, and still be in a book club, I should be in a book club. Yeah, what are we doing, Liz? Oh, my, my, my book club, it was my salvation. It was our excuse. We, we all have children same age, and we raised them up together, and it was our excuse to get away from them. So you can't get away from them once in a while. Read your book. I would do a book club with you, Liz, and it would be in quotes, and really it would be called um, Wine Club. <laughs> Wine Club with Netflix. Oh, there's that. Our book club includes that, for sure. Wait, I have to ask you, is there anything on Netflix you're watching, or is there no time for that, and you're doing the good work of book reading? Yeah, Tim and I always have something we're watching together, and we have to wait. We can't cheat on each other because we're apart so much. We have to wait till the other gets home to watch the next episode together. We do, too. We do the same thing. The Canes, they're just like us. We're in the middle of a very nerdly series. We're watching this series called Turn, T-U-R-N, which is about revolutionary war. Or spies, Ooh. and it's very cool, but it's kind of a semi-serious history drama. Oh, we love it. We no, that's dig our that. kind of thing. Yeah. Okay, good. We have lots of good recommendations now for our own limited free time, and we are so grateful that you joined us. Thank you so much for making the time. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, Christian. Great to be with you. Y'all do great work. Thank you. And if you become second lady, which we are really rooting for, we hope that you'll be back, and then we can talk about clog dancing. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love it. And, and more about education. Absolutely. And all of okay, y'all are great. Thank you so much. Thanks, Anne. All right. That was really fun. That was so fun. She's awesome. I love her. So thank you, Anne Holton. And thank you, our listeners, for joining us for another episode of Spawn. What a way to celebrate our 50th episode, Kristen. I know. I can't believe it. How are we going to top this, Liz? I don't know. We're going to have to get Hillary next. (laughs) (laughs) Hillary's people, we're putting it out there. Well, if you guys have questions or comments or you just want to say hi or anything, we would love to hear from you. You can email us, Spawn, at CoolMom. Picks.com. You can catch us on Twitter. It's at Cool Mom Picks. Use the hashtag Spawn Show or catch us on Facebook. Thank you, listeners, for joining us for another episode. Thank you so much to our fabulous engineer, John Bowen. And hey, if you have not listened to all 50 of our Spawn episodes, what? I know. What are you waiting for? Get busy. Head over to iTunes, Stitcher, your favorite podcast app, download the episode, subscribe to our feed, and you'll never miss one. We're on once a week. And we appreciate reviews as they help other people find our show. Thanks so much for listening to Spawn. This is Kristen. And this is Liz. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.